Okay, it's nice to, nice to be here. I don't get to see you guys so much these days, do I? No. No, I do miss you guys. Um, thanks, mate. So uh, tonight then, if you open your Bible... And uh, we'll look at Psalm 85, since that was the psalm of topic, so we'll just go there. And we will do that verse 6. We're, uh, sorry, uh, verse 6. And, I, and this is from the, uh, the King Jimmy version. And it says, Will thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Will thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Mm. Hallelujah. That word revive is, uh, yeah. is a very loaded word, isn't it? Because when we think of the word revive or revival, you know, immediately we have these preconceived ideas of crazy meetings where God is moving and all this kind of stuff. And well, I remember back in the day, you know, in the 70s, charismatic renewal and all this kind of stuff. But revive... Revive us again. To make some, to revive something means that that which is either very close to or has probably died. Mm. So I've been revived from death twice, as you know. And trust me, I was well and truly dead mm. for 20 minutes each time. And uh, by the grace of God, here I am revived. <laughs> and God wants his church revived. Which means, unfortunately, if something needs to be revived, it probably is in a pretty bad state of disrepair. Amen? (laughs) So the heart call of God and the heart call of the cry of the church is, Lord, please revive us. And I'm reminded of the Valley of Dry Bones, which I preached on this at another congregation uh, about a week ago. And, you know, oh, did you enjoy it? Yeah, that's right. So, so the, the valley of dry bones. And, and, and the thing is with these dry bones that need to be revived, have you noticed something about those bones? They're very, very dry. All right. Now, I don't know about you, but dry bones don't do much. They just sit in the sun and just stay dry. Okay? They are dry. They are dead. They are deceased. They have the form of the appearance of something, but no longer retain the, the life of that thing. Like the church. Unfortunately, we, we have, have still have the it's all right, we still have the appearance of life. We still have the appearance of what a church is, but unfortunately, it's like that, that sketch about the parrot. <laughs> it's dead, it's deceased. Now I'm not saying the church is completely dead, but, but I'm saying that you know the church has fallen into a bit of a bad state and a, a state of disrepair. But God's heart is that he wants to revive his people and he wants to revive his church and he wants to bring her back to a place where she's joyous again. Because in Romans 12, it says the kingdom of God is not in food or drink, but it is righteousness, peace and joy. You right there? No? Oh, right. The cross. No, I won't trip over the cross. That's a nice cross. I like this cross. I'll just just put it there in case I in case I stand on it. But one thing that I find that probably a lot of Christians struggle with is they don't have much joy in their life. Now, I'm not talking about happiness. I'm talking about joy. 
You see, joy is something of the spirit of God. Joy is something that you can have inside of you, irrespective of how bad your circumstances are. You could be in the most grimiest, grimiest situation, darkest situation, but still have the joy of the Lord burning deep down inside your soul. Yeah. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Some of you are not convinced. But this is what God wants. He wants to bring joy back to his church again. And that's what I like about coming to this congregation is that actually you're quite a joyous lot, to be fair. Okay, we're a bit too serious at fair, you know, but you guys are joyous and it's always a joy to be here. But God wants to revive his church again, that thy people may rejoice in thee. And I'm reminded also of, of in Genesis chapter two, where Adam, he's this lifeless form. There he is. He looks like Adam. It, you know, everything looks like him. I mean, it is Adam. But he's not alive. And it says that God breathes the, the ruach, it says in the Hebrew, breathes the, the life into him, breathes the spirit into him. So that Adam becomes a living soul. And the church should be a living soul. The church should be the new creation in Christ Jesus. It says in 2 Corinthians 3, it says that we are a new creation. And in the Greek, it's, spelled, it's the word species. So it's a new form of life that never existed before on the earth. Until the moment of the cross, when Jesus said, it is finished. Then for all those that believe in him can come to new life in Christ. And become this new creation. Which is what baptism is about. This is why baptism is so important. I don't know why, but it's almost like it's kind of like a backstory thing these days. Like, oh, baptism is just one of those things we've got to get done because now you're a Christian, you know, oh, we've got to get you baptized. But it's actually, no, when you get baptized, something wonderful takes place. When you go in that water, the old you is dead. You're crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me and loved me. Hallelujah. And so this new life you have in Christ Jesus, when you come up out of those waters, you are a new creation. And we see the prototype of this in the Old Testament when Israel, she came out of the land of bondage, out of the place of sin, so to speak. And she needed to be born again as a nation. So what happens? The waters broke like a pregnant woman. The waters break and the Red Sea parted and he, she came through. And it says in Hebrew, uh, Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, they were baptized into Moses. And that's as a nation, they became born again, not born again as we understand it, but born again as a nation. They were given a promise. They were given a purpose. They were given hope. They were given a promised land. And they are a shadow and type of what we have now in our lives. That when we go through the waters of baptism, we no longer go through a prototype. We go through the reality, which is we were dead, but now we are alive in Christ Jesus. And not only that, blessed be his name. <laughs> he gives us the Holy Spirit to live inside us. The holy, the set apart, the most glorious Spirit of God comes to live inside of the heart of a man who still sins and a woman who still sins and makes mistakes and gets things wrong. Yet God has chosen to inhabit and dwell within his people. Blessed be his name. Isn't that a good God? God doesn't dwell in buildings anymore. He now dwells in hearts of flesh. Hallelujah. Amen. The holy God is dwelling in us, but he wants to revive us. He needs to revive us. You see, we sang uh, Psalm 23 
And it talks about how he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And he needs to revive the church for his name's sake. Because the body of Christ, the church, is the body of Christ on the earth. And I always say this when Paul said, ah, the body of Christ. It was not like, oh, that's a really cool slogan. We'll put that on some T-shirts. We'll put it on some mouse mats. You know, well, this is a great slogan. It wasn't, an, it wasn't an idea. It's not a metaphor. It's a spiritual reality. Christ is the head. He is in heaven. And Christ is on the earth through his body, the church. So that's why the church needs to be here. Because the world will never know about the goodness of God Unless they see the goodness of God manifest through his people. And they need to see the goodness of God in you and me. Because if they don't see it in you, Dave, and they don't see it in you, Chris, and they don't see it in me, then who are they going to see the goodness of God in? Now, like Mother Teresa, she would look at all living souls and she would say, you know, when, I, when she goes up ministers to someone... She'll say, you know, I see Jesus in everybody because it says in, in Matthew 25 it, where Jesus says, you know, uh, as much as you've done it to the least of my brethren, you have done it unto me. So there's truth there as well. We're all made in the image of God. But the church explicitly reveals something of the image of God through Christ. As when you saw Jesus Christ, you looked at Jesus and you saw the father. When we look at the church, we should see Jesus. But is that always what we see? <laughs> oh, no, not really. Um, sometimes we do, but, but more often we, we see the nonsense and the arguments and the schisms and the silliness that goes on in church. Hallelujah. Dave, I don't know anything about you, but God loves you. And he says, can you give his church another chance? I don't know what that means. So, God is a good God. Amen. He is a, 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 a God of second chances, God of third chances, God of fourth chances, God of fifth chances. And he wants his people to be revived. And he wants his people to be full of joy again. Do you know there was a time, I don't know if you, you the, where you couldn't wait to get to church? Anyone here ever experienced that? Right, I notice it's all the older people, right? <laughs> Younger people is like, well, you know, sometimes. Um, but there was a time where, exactly, all right, don't be rude. Who's the younger people? There ain't no young people in here. Um, there was a time where, where God was in his church and he was really moving very beautifully, very wonderfully. And people like, you know, you never know what God is going to do at church today. There was that expectancy. Now, when I first got born again, it was at the tail end of the charismatic renewal. And there was that expectancy that sometimes God was just going to do something. And you didn't know what he was going to do, but you just knew he was going to do something because you could feel it in the air. The electric was in the air. It was like the air was crackling with the presence of God. And you just knew something crazy or cool was going to happen. And God never disappointed. But do you know why he didn't disappoint? Because his people came expectant. His people came with joy thinking, what's my God going to do tonight? What's my God going to say tonight? What's he go Who's he going to set free? Who's he going to save? Who's he going to deliver? Who's he going to heal? Now it's like, well, I hope the sermon doesn't go on for too long. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
God wants to bring joy back to his church again. He wants to revive us again. He wants to revive us. He wants to restore us. He wants to bring a vitality back to the church again. And he is going to do it. But we have to work with him as well. It's not, it's not all down to God to do everything. Well, God is sovereign. He can do it all. Well, no. He is sovereign, absolutely, but he's also given us a great commission, not the great omission. He gave us the great commission. There's something that you and I have to do. There's a responsibility that you and I have to do. But you see, we have a privilege that nobody else on planet Earth can have. Hello? We lost sound. We have a, we have a privilege that no one else on Earth has, in that we are a royal priesthood. Amen. And that means we can come before the Lord our God as priests and we can minister to our God. But it means we need to spend time in his presence. It means we need to take, we need to do business with God as well. And, you know, I'm doing this course at the moment called, uh, uh, what's it called? Prayer. Sorry, prayer school. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Prayer school. It's a really simple name. So I'm doing this thing about prayer school and teaching people about the, the depths and the art of prayer because prayer isn't just a simple our father who art in heaven there's a whole world out there in prayer that most Christians have not experienced they've only experienced the vocal prayer but they haven't experienced the, the meditation prayer or meditating on the scriptures or contemplating on God's presence and things like that there's such a depth to the things of prayer and God wants to bring us back to the place of love again he wants us, I'm reminded of that church in Revelation. I can't remember which church it is. But they become so obsessed with error in the church. All the, they were the experts on the latest heresies of the church. All this teaching's heresy, that teaching's heresy. Do you know you get some ministries and all they focus on is the bad things that go on in Christendom. And they become so good at focusing on the heresy. Guess what Jesus had to say to them? Um, you've forgotten your first love. I said this today, if you want to spot counterfeit notes, you don't have to be trained in spotting a counterfeit note. You need to spend so much time with the real thing that when you see a counterfeit note, you immediately sense or in your gut go, there's something not right about this. I might not know what it is, but it is counterfeit. And it's the same with God. We get so sidetracked by secondary issues in our lives. You know, we go down all these little rabbit holes. Or what about this? Or what about that? And theological this and theological that. I'm not saying theology is wrong or bad. Of course, it's a good thing. But I'm saying we can go down these little rabbit holes and some of us never come back out again. We just get lost down there. What happened to Pete? I don't know. He went down that rabbit hole. I haven't seen him in years. <laughs> it just disappeared. And we've lost our first love. You know, the Bible is always saying, God keeps saying to this to me over and over and over and over again. It's kind of, it's like, I don't, I'm not getting it, Lord. And I know that he's trying to tell me something. And it's in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Everything in the beginning, God. There is no room for anything else. He is the source of all life. He is the source of all things. He, from him, we live and move and have our being in him. He, it is in the beginning God. Life is meaningless without him. Life is pointless without him. He's my compass. He's my true north. He's my God. He's my saviour. He's my rock. He's my shield. He's my deliverer. He's the answer to my prayers. He's the yes and amen. In the beginning God. <coughs> Hallelujah. And that's the secret to revival in the beginning God. Not 
God and my pet theology or God and my soapbox. No, in the beginning, God. And if he is at the foundation of everything in your life, if he's the foundation of your music, the foundation of your career in nursing, the foundation of your knowledge in science, the foundation of your whole life, that in the beginning, God, surely you will tread a much straighter path than you will do if you do it man's ways and thinking the vain philosophies of man which are constantly shifting and changing 10 years ago it was this and now today it's this and 10 years in the future will be that and all these things are shifting sands and shifting topographies and they never stand still but the word of god is true the word of god stands for eternity jesus is known as the rock because he doesn't change he's the same a thousand years ago today and will be forevermore god and the goodness of God. If God was good 2,000 years ago, is he still good today? Yes, absolutely. Hallelujah. If Jesus healed 2,000 years ago, you think he's not bothering anymore because he's not into that anymore? He's moved on. We're into something new now. No, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God is immutable. That means he changeth not. And I love that picture where in the Old Testament it says, the Lord is my rock. What it means is, No matter how hard the rains come, no matter how hard the winds come, no matter what hail, thunderstorms or whatever, those mountains look exactly the same today as they did in Jesus' day as they did probably at the beginning of creation. Because God is the rock and he changeth not. And God wants to encourage us all tonight. He wants his people to rejoice again. Some of us have lost our joy. Some of us have lost our life in him. Some of us have lost our first love in him. Some of us have become sidetracked by other issues. And some of us have forgotten the simplicity of the Christian faith. Jesus. You know, I know many, many, many clever people, especially clever Christians. And not there's a premium on ignorance either, I'm not saying that. But you know, some of the most wisest people I know are not people who are clever, but people that spend time at the feet of Jesus. You know, I like it when the, uh, in the Sanhedrin, Peter and all that lot are brought before the Sanhedrin. They said, look, will you just shut up about Jesus? And it says, they perceived that they, were, that they had been with Jesus. And that's my heart. I want people to say of me, And that guy's crazy, but I know that he's been with Jesus. And that's what people should say when they come near you and me. They should say, those people have been with Jesus. We should make an impact. We should make a difference. Not because that's what we should, because that's what, because we're Christians and it just says on the tin, that's what we should do. No, it should just come out of us because we are already in that place in relationship with God. You know, we can be really into doing Christianity, can't we? Where you're like, I must do this, I must do that, I must do this, I must do that. And it's like, you know, it's like the evangelists, they get up and say, you're not preaching the gospel, you need to preach the gospel. It's like, well, unless they've got a revelation and a love for God, they're not going to say anything. So quit banging them on the head with the Bible because it isn't going to work. You can't change people by hitting them, whacking them over the head. You've got to love them, but they need to know the love of God for themselves. The only true change that can come in a human being is not through program management or behavior management, but it can only come with a revelation of God inside you. 
He is the only one that can change you. He is the only one that can transform you. You know, we try to use religion and gimmicks and tricks to try and change ourselves, but it doesn't work. If only, if only I don't touch this, if I don't eat this, if I observe this and I observe that. And I'm reminded of Galatians, it says, oh, you stupid, foolish Galatians. Now tell me, Galatians, I'm paraphrasing obviously, did you receive the gifts of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, before you observed feasts and festivals or afterwards? Because they all thought, well, if we do this and we jump through that hoop, then God will really bless us. You were already being blessed. Because the Bible says you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places through Christ Jesus. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with doing these extra things. That they add richness maybe to what we're doing. But if, you've got to be very careful why you do what you do. Because you are already righteous because it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he who knew no sin became sin. That we might become the righteousness of God. That's not to say we, we, we're exempt from behaving ourselves. We've got to work with the things of God. But what I believe the Spirit of God is saying today is like, fall in love with Jesus again. Like, absolutely fall in love with him again. You know, how do you do that? What do you do with a marriage that's gone, that's gone too far down those old tracks? You're too familiar with each other. You're too bored of each other. You don't even say anything to each other because you just know what they're going to say anyway. You know, what do you do with a marriage that's gone that, that far? It's like, what do we do? And what does Jesus say to the church when they've gone too far out over here? Go back to your first love. And it's not that you have to start again necessarily because you already, God's given you lots of things and you just move on from where you are. But God wants some of us to go back to the beginning. Not as a discouragement like, oh really do I have to start all over again? It's not about starting over again. It's just about getting your compass right again. That your compass is facing true north which is Jesus and you're walking your relationship with him. And if that is good and that is right then everything else falls into place. You don't even have to worry about holiness because Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. Being whacked over the head, I must obey this, I must obey that, I must obey this. No, if you don't love God, then your, your obedience means nothing to him. Because your, your obedience is filthy, oily rags. But if you love him, then you will obey him. Mm. I always say to people, if they're struggling with things in God, with sin, it's like, it's not an obedience problem you have, it's a love problem. You just need to fire up that love engine. You just need to get back in love with Jesus again. It doesn't take long, does it? You know, just get on those old, uh, those old 1970s cassettes for some of you older people. You know, listen to that old 70s praise or whatever it is. That, you know, just to get you into that place to shake off that apathy and shake off that, 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 those cobwebs on you and get back to the heart of Christianity. And get back to Jesus. We get so sidetracked with what's going on in the world and oh, look at all the evil and look at these terrible things and look at those terrible things. Yes, the world is full of terrible things and there's great evil going on. But you are called to set your gaze and set your eyes and set your attention and set your focus and set your heart on Jesus, not on the plans and the purposes of darkness. I don't care about what conspiracy is going out there to, you know, the, the global agenda and the globalization and bring down the economy and stuff like that. I know that my God is in control and I know even if that's the things that we have to go through, I don't care because my priority is not on the wicked schemes of man, but on the goodness and the glory and the power of God Amen. and knowing him and walking with him and in him. Surely that's what counts. 
I don't watch hours and hours of conspiracy videos on YouTube. I don't watch my, I don't fill my head with stuff and nonsense which I can't actually validate to be true or not. So I would rather spend my time on my knees in the truth, knowing the truth who is Jesus Christ. And as we pursue and press into the truth, and as we pursue and press into Christ, and in love and relationship with him, he will revive you and he will give you some Holy Ghost joy. Are you all up for some Holy Ghost joy? Hallelujah. Blessed be your name, Jesus. Lord God, I pray. Would you encourage us, Lord Jesus, wherever we're at, Lord God, to come back to our first love, to come back to our true north, Lord Jesus, which is you. Help us in our weakness wherever we're at, Lord God. And Lord, I pray that you fill us again with your spirit of joy, the spirit of gladness, the oil of joy, the oil of gladness. Oh, Holy Ghost, please fill us again with your peace and your joy. Lord, hallelujah. Blessed be your name. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.